Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen, and welcome to TriCan Law Services' third quarter 2020 earnings results and conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode, and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need any assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Brad Fedora, President and Chief Executive Officer of Tricam Law Services. Please go ahead, Mr. Fedora. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining our, our Q3 conference call. With me on the call uh, is various people from our executive team, including Rob Skilnick, our CFO, and Todd Tui, our Chief Operating Officer. Uh, before we proceed with the call, I'd like to refer everybody to our website, which is www.tricanwellservice.com, and on the website, you can go to the investor section and download our presentation, and about the second page of the presentation is a disclaimer talking about forward-looking information and, and, and basically um, the usual legal the legal stuff around these calls, so I encourage you to read that. Um, just the outline of the call... Um, First, Rob Skillman's going to give, uh, give an overview on the quarterly results, and then I'll address the issues pertaining to the current operating conditions and a near-term outlook for the remainder of Q4 and, and Q1, and then we'll open the call for questions. And uh, so I'll now turn the call over to Rob. Thanks, Brad. Uh, as Brad mentioned, uh, refer to our, please refer to our 2019 AIF and business risk section of our MD&A. For the quarter ended September 30th for a complete description of risks and uncertainties and also uh, references to common industry terms and non-GAAP measures that are more fully described in the third quarter 2020 MBNA. Our third quarter results were released this morning and are available on CDAR. By historic standards, activity remained at cyclical lows. The average Western Canadian rig count was 53 drilling rigs, which compares to 202 in Q1 of 2020 and 144 in the comparative Q3 2019. However, despite historically low industry activity, Q3 activity saw a sequential improvement of 135% relative to the second quarter of 2020. For this reason, the company achieved sequential improvements in almost all financial categories. The significant efficiencies achieved in our business at the end of March, combined with efficiencies already being implemented in advance of COVID-19 events, have resulted in a much more resilient business cost structure. Despite year-over-year industry activity declines of 60% and our corresponding year-over-year revenue declines of 43%, our adjusted EBITDA came in just below break-even at negative 2.6 million, compared to positive 3.5 million in the third quarter of 2019. Excluding the effects of severance and the Canadian emergency wage subsidy, adjusted EBITDA would have been approximately positive $5 million. Fracturing operations activity was inconsistent through the first half of the quarter, but then strengthened in the second half. 
Despite average utilization on our three crews of 53%, strong operational performance and efficiencies allowed us to generate reasonable margins in the context of the current business climate. Although cement and coil activity started off really slow, both service lines achieved noticeable improvements in activity and revenue levels as the quarter progressed. Coil activity improvements allowed us to increase our coil tubing crew count back to four. The severance charge I referenced earlier for the quarter was significant. As a result of COVID-19 events, the company had previously reduced personnel levels by approximately 800 staff in March and April. These reductions consisted of both permanent reductions and temporary layoffs. Recently, we brought back about 200 of the temporary reduced staff to work, while the remaining, while the remaining 350 employees were permanently reduced due to anticipated permanent activity level declines. Most of these employees were long-serving employees with an average tenure of nearly six years, many having served much longer than that time frame. Additional significant severance was incurred related to the executive departures that were disclosed in our news release dated September 15, 2020. The company's business generated modestly negative operating cash flow in the quarter before considering changes in working capital. Operating cash flow before working capital was negative $4 million despite the significant industry headwinds. However, equipment sales did provide incremental cash flow to pay for our sustaining capital and contribute to our NCIB program. Despite a network operating working capital investment of $18 million, the company's financial position remained strong with cash exceeding borrowings and a positive non-cash working capital position of $49 million. Our available credit lines continue to provide the company with significant liquidity to weather this current market uncertainty and will allow us to maintain our equipment in good working condition with the potential for making opportunistic investments. Our Q3 2020 CapEx remained modest at $1 million. Our current investment plans will allow, also remain modest and will be focused on critical sustaining capital items that will allow, and allow us to invest opportunistically in items that provide long-term efficiencies and quick paybacks. Overall, our full-year capital should approximate our previous indications of approximately 4% of revenue levels. While we do expect to continue to sell additional assets, the overall market uncertainty caused by COVID-19 resulted in the reclassification of our assets held for sale back into property and equipment. We still have a number of assets that we plan to sell, and despite the ongoing market uncertainty, we sold nearly 5 million of assets during the quarter. We will continue to monetize stranded capital and redeploy that capital back into the business, either into equipment or into our NCIB program. During the quarter and for the third consecutive NCIB cycle, we maxed out our NCIB purchases. Since 2017, we have purchased more than 26% of our shares. In addition, we renewed our NCI program at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and we have continued to make share repurchases since this renewal. The company continues to view share repurchases as a good long-term invest investment for use of any excess capital. I'll now turn the call over to Brad, who will be providing comments on the operating conditions and strategic outlook. Yeah, I'll make some quick comments, and then we can, we can go to questions. So Q3, obviously, was coming off historical lows in the in the oil patch. So the quarter started, you know, very slowly, as everybody knows, with, uh, you know, only a couple of dozen drilling rigs running and then slowly built up as the quarter progressed. And it's fairly lumpy throughout. Um, you know, the market that we're in in Q3 or in Q4 is, 
there's you know very busy weeks followed by some slow days and then return back to busy days. It's, it, it is quite uh, lumpy. You know, us like probably most of our competitors, we were we're very focused on our core group of customers. Um, you know, as everybody knows, Termaline is a big part of our business, and, and thankfully they were busy and uh, we had a fairly active quarter. The cementing business, as with fracking, started slow and then built up as the quarter progressed. You know, I think at the beginning of Q3, we were less than 20 drilling rigs, and, and you know, now we're at uh, around 88. Um, and so the cementing business has continued to build as, as things have gotten busy. And basically the same with coil. Um, at the beginning of Q3, we were doing very little work, and then we actually got into a into a, a situation where we needed to add crews at the at the end of at the end of Q3. You know, pricing, of course, whenever you think it can't go lower, it goes lower. Um, it's extremely competitive. You know, I would say it was relatively stable through Q3, and then as Q4 progressed, we've seen you know we've seen some volatility. In pricing, like there just isn't, there isn't enough consistent work for what we think is approximately 20 fractures running in the basin. And every time that happens, of course, you get, you know, you get this ridiculous pricing behavior. And you know, certain of our competitors are obviously um, uh, violate pricing issues more than than some. Um, but that's you know not going to go away. And so we're you know we're trying to trying to work through that. It's a balance between, you know, securing uh, spot work at prices that are, you know, frankly too low versus saving your equipment for, you know, for longer-term contracts that are running into 2021. So, you know, all we can do is continue to manage that. Um, you know, it's important to note, as everybody knows, you know, it's a high fixed-cost business. And so, you know, any, any pricing or any additional crews that get added to our business you know, those cash flows go directly to our to our bottom line as our fixed costs, you know, will not change with the addition of, of crews here. Um, in the quarter, we averaged three frac crews running about 200,000 horsepower, and we averaged about 10 cement crews and three coil crews. You know, all of those have increased over the over that quarter average, but, you know, as you can tell, it was, it was a pretty slow quarter. Um, uh, you know, not, not a lot was happening. The area that we're focused in, of course, is the Monty and the Deep Basin. Um, we're very gas-focused between liquid-rich and dry gas. It's basically 95% of the work we're doing. You know, we do very little oil work. Um, we're very, you know, very Monty-focused. We pumped only about 127,000 tons of sand. We provided all of it. Um, our customers in the quarter didn't provide any of their own sand, and as of usual, about 70% of the sand we pumped was, was Ottawa white versus, you know, 30% domestic. We've seen the tonnages on, on wells stabilize this year, um, in 2020. You know, we, we're not seeing a lot of growth, um, but I, I do think, you know, like Q2, Q3, probably not all that representative. And as, as Q4 progresses and, and Q1, as we look out to Q1, we are seeing we are seeing some tonnage growth on a per well basis. So I think we'll get back to, um, you know, our customers trying to optimize uh, what they're doing and, and get the best from their reservoirs. Um, we did, obviously, I think Rob alluded to the cost cutting that, that we have done. Um, and, you know, we've, we've invested a lot in systems. And all of this is to say that, you know, we're in a position now that, 
as we grow, our fixed costs, you know, will not change. You know, we can probably double or triple our crew, crew count, and there's going to be very little changes to fixed operating costs or G&A. And so, you know, we're at the part of the cycle where the operating leverage is starting to work in our favor. And as we as we get busier into the quarter here and into next year, you know, you should see some, um, you know, you should see the financial contribution coming from those from those additions. But Q4 to date has has been quite busy, um, busier than Q3, and we're not expecting that to change. Um, we do see we do see growth in Q4 over Q3, and we do expect growth in Q1 over Q4. Um, October, November, we've had some weather issues, but they have been have been quite busy, and and you know we don't we think it's going to stay busy until until mid December, and we expect that Q1 is going to start is going to start with a bang relatively. You know, it's it's important to note that all the dual fuel pumps that are available in the basin are basically being operated today, and so you know going forward um, as customers grow their programs and, and demand dual fuel, there's basically going to be a shortage as, you know, there's about, as, you know, the, the, all the dual fuel pumps that, you know, us and our competitors have are basically all working today. So that is going to be a pinch point in Q1 for sure. And it's something we will continue to invest in. Uh, we're not expecting the rig count to really change for the rest of this quarter. You know, we are expecting it to go up in Q1. You know, to what level? You know, I'll leave that to the analysts. But we do expect that the, the rig count will break through 100, and that will cause uh, tightness. And so, you know, we've added one frac crew since Q3. We're up to four. We're expecting that we're going to be adding another one. You know, maybe as high as two. Um, same thing on coil and cement. You know, we're running five five coil crews today and about 15 cement crews. And we'll see how that goes, and, and we're in a position, thankfully, that we can continue to add equipment into the basin without any changes to any of our fixed costs. So, um, you know, we'll continue to monitor that. We won't put crews on the road unless we're going to make money. Um, you know, nothing's, nothing's changed there. It's the basin, I would say, is, as, as everybody would expect, is extremely, or what we're working on anyway, is extremely natural gas-focused. You know, clients are clearly taking advantage of higher gas prices and and using that to uh, to drill you know profitable wells in the Montney and the Deep Basin. And as long as those gas prices hold, we think activity will be relatively relatively busy. Um, and you know, unfortunately for us, our margins are still tight. But you know, certainly it's always a good thing when your when your customers are making money. Um, we we do get questions on people. I, I'm not going to say we have people issues yet. You know, certainly there's areas in the basin like Grand Prairie where, you know, they've stayed, they've stayed relatively busy and the people that have been laid off have returned home to various parts of Canada. You know, that's always a tough market, but, you know, we're, we're still not seeing any, any significant hurdles on the people side. Um, you know, we do think we're going to be at, we're going to be able to add the people that, um, that we need to add, you know, certainly for the next six months or so anyway. On the supply chain and just general cost efficiencies, we continue to make sure, you know, we grind the cost out of our systems and, and uh, you know, structure a company that we think can, is running at its most efficient. Um, you know, we've been think, we've been going through our supply chain and our vendors, and uh, you know, trying to get the best prices we can. Obviously, you know, we continue to look for every cost savings um, that you know we, that we can find. 
Um, and again, it's important, you know, the significance of this is as we do grow revenue, all of that margin or all of that field margin um, will flow to will flow to the bottom line. On the technology side, you know, as everybody knows, the, the frack business has sort of been a bit of flux. In our in our strategy is is to maintain financial flexibility. You know, look for ways to differentiate ourselves or look at consolidation opportunities. You know, we'll just continue to investigate the various opportunities that we have and 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 you know hopefully make the right decisions with uh, on the backs of thorough analysis. So, you know, we. The industry is changing. You know, we're getting away from diesel-driven frack crews. Uh, you know, we're starting to hear about the desire for electric or natural gas fire equipment. You know, and we're in the fortunate position that we can look at at any and all of those opportunities. And when we find the right opportunity, we'll, you know, we'll uh, we'll make a move. And uh, and you know, we hope to differentiate ourselves not only through our balance sheet, but you know, through the equipment and the services that we offer. The ESG um, pressures put on our industry, you know, they're real. Um, we are responding to them. You know, we are working working in, in, in our company to, to quantify and identify all of the things that this industry has done in the last few years, and they're significant. You know, we've reduced freshwater consumption. We've re- reduced diesel consumption. We've reduced the number of trucks on the road. Um, we've reduced the amount of chemicals we're, we're, we're hauling around. You know the countryside by replacing it with dry chemicals or bulk chemicals, um, giving chemistry options that allow our customers to to use produced water or recycled frac fullback water. You know all of these things. Um, you know the industry has made great strides in uh, in our environmental uh, footprint, and you know I think it's we probably need to do a better job of of sort of in, informing the public and the investment community as to you know, what those things have been and just how significant they are. So, you know, our ESG plan internally will will continue to develop, but, you know, mostly with the goal of providing our customers with concrete data as to, you know, how much less diesel or water or whatever it is uh, that, you know, they're they're consuming now versus even even a few years ago. On the capital side, we're going to pick our spots, look for look for areas of differentiation, you know, our equipment is all in very good shape. Um, we have a lot of equipment on the fence, but it's it's basically ready to go. And so our capital needs are, are fairly minimal. Um, and as we have to pull equipment off the fence and put equipment into the field, you know, our costs are certainly just not that significant. And, you know, we'll continue to look at the new equipment designs and whether it's more dual fuel or tier four engines, you know, with the with the general desire that we want to reduce emissions, reduce the amount of diesel we're burning, use customers' sales gas on location, just to create the most cost-effective and efficient you know frac fleets as we, as we can. You know, on the cementing on the cementing and coil side, you know, we don't a lot of that technology hasn't applied to those business lines yet, um, but certainly you know we're looking at every any opportunity, um, whether it's with new blends or new chemistries. Um, to you know, to do a better job and provide you know more efficient services to our customers. Our our primary focus continues to be in Canada, continues to be in uh, the Montney and the Deep Basin, and so you know we're not looking to grow outside of Canada. We're going to continue to build market share here. We'll continue to sell off old equipment given the opportunity. Keep our balance sheet 
our balance sheet strong and keep that flexibility, continue to buy back our stock, um, and just look for, you know, look to make the next move and provide good services to our clients. So I think I'll stop there. And operator, we can go question questions. is from Andrew Bradford with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Hi. When you ask, so you've activated the crew since the third quarter, and you're talking about activating a fifth rack crew under the circumstance, under the correct circumstances. Can you describe? So, how much guaranteed work do you need to activate that crew? Well, what are the sort of business conditions that are required? Because in your preamble, you sort of described a situation in the basin right now where there might be about 20 factories out there. And that's mm-hmm. not quite enough tension in the market to support stable pricing. Mm-hmm. So you're adding a fifth crew now. And just, so what, is, what sort of circumstances do you need to see or what kind of guarantee work do you need to have to make you do that? So it would have to be sort of project-based awards. Um and and indications from our core customers as to what their plans will be for 2021. And, you know, given our four crews today, we cannot get to everything that is on the board today. And so, you know, we, we're not prepared to reduce price to add those crew, to add that crew, um, but we're not expecting a big price increase either. Um, and keep in mind that the people that we're adding to add that crew are all variable. They're all variable costs, and so, you know, they would come and go with with the workflow, and there wouldn't be any incremental salary positions added. Um, and so we do have quite a bit of flexibility there. If, if the work does go away, you know, so do the costs. Um, but really, it's um, fairly detailed discussions with the customer or the look through the project timing and, you know, making sure that we have the equipment for everything that we've sort of made promises for. And today I can tell you, you know, we don't we don't really have enough. Um, but because it's so gas-focused, you know, we all know what can happen if we end up with a warm December. Um, so we're staying nimble um, until, you know, until we have to make the final decisions. Okay, so the... the the variable cost part was my next question. So all everybody on the next crew, or the staffing requirement for the next crew, for the next crew, is they are not, none of these guys would be salaried. Right. We did, so we didn't actually lay off any supervisors. We we basically had you know cement and frack and coil crews staffed almost entirely with salaried supervisors over the summer and into Q4 here. So. You know, we, we made the decision that we were going to keep all the, the you know, the people with the knowledge and the experience. And so we just, you know, we're fortunately now, as a result, we can spread those people around now. And the people that we do add are, are day rate employees. Okay. Okay, thanks, thanks for that. Just uh, the last one from you would just be around um, capital allocation. Looking at the buyback versus the potential to um, for M&A in the sector? And maybe just your comments around how you view the sector could or could not benefit from M&A as, uh, as activities fully picks up here. 
tough to beat the buyback. You know, we trade at 50, 60% of book or whatever the exact number is. Um, as everybody knows, buyback is permanent. It's uh, the tough investment for us to beat. And so you've seen us deploy, you know, almost all of our capital into the buyback and we're continuing to do that. I mean, there are, there are places where we, we do need to consider investing, you know, more buy fuel, that kind of thing. But it's, you know, we've always got that buyback in the back of our minds here. And, and that's, you know, that's been our way of growing on a per share basis over the last couple of years. You know, we've, we've, you know, we bought back whatever 28% of our stock. Um, and so, you know, our per share numbers have obviously grown by that amount. So it's a tough, tough thing to beat. And so when we look at buying our own stock versus consolidation, it really gets down to, I mean, it gets down to price. I mean, consolidation makes sense. I mean, if things get cheap enough, you can, you can, you can justify the economics of, of consolidation. But, you know, from a longer term perspective, you know, I think our strategy would be more focused around, um, you know, low cost operations and, and differentiation. And so in order to, to, to beat that out, um, you know, we'd have to see consolidation at really attractive prices. Um, that's perfect. Thank you very much, guys. The next question is from Cole Pereira with Kifo. Please go ahead. Hey, uh, morning, guys. Um, so a lot of commentary today just around improving utilization on the gas side, as expected, heading into the winter drilling season. Um, would it be fair to say that a lot of this activity is still call it largely maintenance spending? Are you are you getting any indications that EMPs uh, might be starting to actually think about growth on the gas side? I'm not sure we would know the answer to that. Um, yeah. But it, I mean, it, it is definitely both. But I I don't think I could give you a very well-informed answer on the split between maintenance versus growth. It, it would be very customer-specific, and, you know, that's that's better asked. You know, just, I, I don't want to speak on their behalf. Gotcha. No, totally fair. Um, so your your comments around buy fuel, um, how would you be thinking about that in terms of timing? Would, it, would this be more of a 2022 type of situation, or... You know, if things if things pick up and the market for that stays tight, uh, could we see some of that in the second half of next year? Yeah, like a, about a quarter of our fleet today is buy fuel, and uh, it, the timeline on on con- converting more of your fleet is 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 a few months. It's not it's not a few quarters. So you know, we'll continue to to, to sort of upgrade and. And maybe experiment with new, new technologies on the buy fuel side. So that'll be a 2021 thing for sure. Got it. Uh, that's a helpful color. That's all for me, guys. I'll turn it back. Thanks. 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 The next question is from John Gibson with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Morning. Talked about the uh, Torbellino obviously being a big customer, and they've been uh, pretty active on the acquisition front here recently. I'm just wondering if you um, have seen an impact to your business or 
any any conversations with them in terms of uh, potential work going forward? Yeah, we we expect our work to grow as as their activity grows, whether it's you know through drilling on their existing lands or as they inherit um, acquisition drilling programs. Like you know, we we generally, as long as we're doing good work for them, obviously, um, you know, we expect to grow to grow with them. Okay, great. Um, second one for me, back to the dual fuel units. I know you talked about them basically all being utilized in the basin. So in order for you to add more crews, would you need to invest in additional dual fuel capacity in the short term, or, or could you activate uh, crews from existing uh, equipment on the sidelines? We would, yeah, we'll, we, we will likely continue to add dual fuel as we add more fleets. Because the, the demand for dual fuel is, has but but increase and it's you know it's becoming a almost a must have I guess um, you know there are certain places or certain customers that are more flexible but the kind of work that we're pursuing typically does require dual fuel and this would have to happen before you theoretically add any more fleets not necessarily I mean you know one doesn't have to come before the other but I mean you generally with the intention that if you're going to add another crew, you wouldn't want it to be dual fuel capable as soon as possible. Okay, great. Um, next one for me, just on the asset sale, can you quantify what uh, that level stands at currently? Sorry, the asset sale for the quarter? Like the or asset sale for sale, sorry. And I know it's a move in... in well, you know, we don't have a quantification. Like we took it down to zero when the balance sheet was sitting at around fifteen million dollars. But I mean, we'd have we'd have assets listed on the real estate market north of twenty million dollars at this time. Okay. You go on the real estate websites and go track it down if you're interested. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then last one for me, just can you quantify? Um, there's going to be any more restructuring charges here to hit in the remainder of the year, and then also what you expect for Q's in uh, Q420 and into 2021? Yeah, I think, um, so on the first one, we think we're largely done on the, the the restructuring here in the short term. I mean, we've got to continue to look at the business and see how that's that's moving and progressing. Like, if, if, if we're permanently at a 3,000 well count, you know, there's going to be some challenges there. Um, as far as the Q's program goes, it's only really defined until the beginning of December. Uh, I would expect it to be slightly below the Q3 number. And then looking out to next year, it's it's waiting to see how it's fully defined uh, to, to get clarity into June of next year. Okay, great. Thanks for the responses. I'll turn it back. Thanks, John. And next question is from Mokar Zayad with APB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for taking my question, and uh, <clears throat> thank you, Brad, for a very comprehensive uh, rundown on um, on activity and outlook. Uh, just one first uh, clarification question. Uh, the number uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, there are five coal fueling units and fifteen cementing units. Now, is that a number? For the fourth quarter, or is that what you expect for the first quarter of next year? That that would be like today's the current number. Okay, great. Uh, and we would you think that's going to? Yeah, we would expect the the number of cement crews we're running to increase 
proportionate to the to the to the rig count. Okay, makes makes sense. Now, secondly, it's interesting to hear your comments on demand for dual fuel uh, systems in Canada, uh, south of the border in the U.S. Uh, we're seeing very similar trends as well. Now, one pumping company in the U.S. is investing in the logistics uh, for, um, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for supplying CNG or you know, putting infrastructure or bringing infrastructure to use steel gas. Uh, is that something that you think has value in Canada uh, as well, and is that something that you would consider investing in as well? I know, yeah, no. I think the the future here is is using using gas right on the pad, like the the customers own gas on the pad, and you know we've already got um, you know Mr. Terraces of the world providing providing CNG, so um, it's not something we would pursue. You know, we're trying to get away from ancillary logistics investments. Um, you know, it, uh, it's, it's you know it's tougher and tougher to get paid for those investments, and so you know we're hyper focused on making sure that we get a return on anything we on anything we we invest in and and we get it quickly. And so typically, the history of the pressure pumping industry is that the more ancillary equipment or services you provide. Um, sort of the less likely you're going to get paid for it. Um, so our, our, our CapEx is going to be very, very focused on things like dual fuel. Okay. It makes sense. Uh, now, you made a comment about uh, that the, the sand pumps for well has been relatively flat last uh, two quarters and could go up. Now, could you maybe give us some numbers in terms of what the average Sand pump for well is currently in the mortening and deep basins. I, I, you know, I, I don't have that data with me, so I, I don't even want to uh, try to answer that. We can we can follow up on that, but I'd, I'd have to get back to my computer. It, okay, no, no, no worries. No and, and then just final question: as activity picks up in the first quarter, um, you know, how do you expect your revenues to be on a year-over-year -year basis in first quarter 21 versus uh, first quarter of 20? Uh, Just broadly would be, yeah. Yeah, we're not we're not going to make last year's numbers now. If if we could get pro rata to the average rig count, I I mean that's as that's you know that's as good a place to to be as anywhere at this point. Okay, great. Thank you very much. That's uh, very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, if anyone has a question, please press star then one. Our next question is from Keith Mackey with RBC. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Thanks, Keith. Uh, just a question just a question here on, on customer consolidation. You mentioned tourmaline. Um we could potentially see more consolidation in the basin, but ultimately likely fewer potential E&P customers for frac companies uh, is, is an outcome here. So do you see it as a positive that your customers have been the ones consolidating, or is there a material risk that some of the other pumpers who maybe have their customers get consolidated 
uh, come after come after your uh, you know your work. Yeah, we've been fortunate that um, you know our efforts to work for the consolidators versus the the uh, sellers has has generally paid off. But you don't always have that luxury, um, and especially in a tough market like this. But you know, from a long-term strategic perspective, you know, we are obviously taking into consideration all of those issues and targeting our efforts accordingly. Um, and we, we you know, we would agree with you. We we do expect the customer count to 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 get more focused and you know have bigger but fewer customers. And you know, there's a lot of implications of that. You know, as to how how you're you're designing your service offering and and uh, you know your integration of you know things like safety and ESG. And you know, we're we're playing through that. We're playing through all those issues um, when we think about you know what does this basin look like in two years. So and, and we're making we're we think we're making you know moves accordingly. So yeah, thanks for that. And one more for me. Uh, maybe could you just walk us through a roadmap on what it would take for pricing to get better or, you know, significantly better over the next, call it, year or two? I mean, it's, it's not complicated. We've got about 1.8 million horsepower in the basin today, um, about half of that is heavy-duty, continuous-duty-style pumps that's appropriate for high-pressure wells in places like the Montney where, where customers are expecting to pump 20-plus hours a day. Um, and about half of that equipment is dual-fuel. So, you know, the dual-fuel heavy-duty equipment is, is consumed already at these levels. So, you know, as this, if this well count starts to trend towards sort of 4,000 plus, you are, you're going to see constraints in, on the equipment side, and that's what you'll need to get better pricing. And, uh, you know, we're, we're actually expecting pricing to firm up as early as Q1 just because, you know, I think all the frac companies in the basin, you know, with you might add a crew here and a crew there, but... You know, it's not like it's not like any of us are in a position to double down on crew counts or anything like that. So, we do expect we do expect some firmer pricing in Q1, and it only takes you know one company to ruin it all, unfortunately. And you know, we do see that, um, and we have seen that in Q4. So, um, we'll see a little bit of firming up in Q1 and then, you know, anything beyond that is going to, is going to require, you know, oil prices, gas prices to stay where they are and oil prices to go up and, you know, people start to add to their programs. It's all the obvious stuff. Um, but the good news is in Canada, like it's not, the supply and demand fundamentals in Canada are, are way more attractive than they are in the U.S. And we're not that far away from, you know, kind of a, a fairly tight market. And, you know, it's a high fixed cost business. And so all of those, all of that additional revenue goes straight to the bottom line. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I think a lot of times people don't appreciate just how much operating leverage exists in these businesses. And, you know, we've done, we've done a lot of work over the last couple of years to, to reduce our, to reduce our fixed costs and our G&A. And, 
And I'll say it, I said it before and I'll, I'll emphasize it again. You know, we can, we can double or triple our crew count from these levels without any, any material changes to our fixed costs. Got it. Well, thanks, thanks for the color. That's it for me. Thanks. Thanks. This concludes the question and answer session. I'd now like to turn the conference back over to Brad Fedora for any closing remarks. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. We appreciate your interest and your time uh, to join our call. Uh, the management team is available for follow-up calls for the for the rest of today and Monday. Um, you can get our our numbers off the website. Um, so please call us if uh, if you have any follow-up questions. And thanks again. Have a good weekend. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.